All right, as promised at the top of the program, we will now re-air a couple of our favorite segments with uh, my neighbor and friend, Lino Carollo. He was a great guest, and we hope you enjoy this look back at our previous conversations. All right, speaking of space things, it turns out that uh, right here in my neighborhood, and of course, Radio Parallax is a community-based radio program, but my neighbor used to work at Aerojet. We got talking a couple of weeks back, and we are talking about Yuri Gagarin, and I thought when it came time to celebrate the anniversary of the moon landing, which is tomorrow, July 20th, we'd bring Lino Carollo on to talk about uh, what they did over at Aerojet, which was actually to build the third stage rocket motors that actually carried uh, the spacecraft out of Earth orbit and over into the orbit around the moon. Therefore, let me welcome to Radio Parallax my neighbor, Lino Carollo. Thank you very much. You know, we, uh, we should mention that we talked in previous shows about how tomorrow ought to be a national holiday, July 20th, the date of the moon landing, but it isn't. Uh, I'm sure that you're, you think we should do that, too. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we should, I don't know if people know this, but uh, Aerojet was prominent in the building of the rocket motors that helped get us to the moon, and specifically, I believe, the, the third stage motor. You are correct. In fact, uh, I worked at Aerojet at the time that... And we did build that uh, engine there. Yeah, I'm holding a, holding a model in my hand that shows that uh, that part that actually left the Earth, went to the moon. It's the part, I think, in the Apollo 13 movie where they see that it's blown out the side. Uh, that was part of, the, um, part of the third stage. You are correct. So is this, is this whole thing the, the, the motor, or is it just the, the, little, the, the parabolic part on the back? Well, the, the parabolic part of the back is basically what we did out at Aerojet. Uh-huh. But uh, also we had uh, another engine called the Nerva, which later on really affected the return of the astronauts back to Earth. Without the Nerva, those astronauts would uh, still be in space. So was the Nerva the one they fired to get the right, to get the right angle so they'd enter the Earth's atmosphere? Correct. What happened was that what after they discovered the uh, blast up, there wasn't any point. The point of no return was gone. They had to go to the moon. And they had to go to the moon because the gravity of the moon would suck the uh, spacecraft in. Then they would have to go in back of the moon and then have a clear shot at Earth. Well, the only thing they had left at that time was Nerva, which we built out at Aerojet. And in our department, our section, we kept records of how many firings uh, that engine took. And it was 3,000 firings. At that time, I was laid off at Aerojet due to the uh, war in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And I was working out at McClellan Air Force Base. One day, my supervisor called me into the office and told me that the FBI wanted to talk to me. Okay. And I said, what did I do? <laughs> a a <laughs> reasonable I thought. anything, you know? <laughs> and they said, well, this was for national security. Mm-hmm. And so I went in, and the FBI asked the same information that I'm going to give to you. How many firings did your section keep? And we said 3,000. And how many were successful? 3,000. And then I remember General George Vanneman, Jr. Uh, stated uh, to us uh, fellows a long, long time ago, if we ever got into any trouble, 
All we need is 3,001 to bring the boys back or whoever was out there. Well, his prophecy came true. Now, th- this was the, this was they were asking this because Apollo 13 was crippled, right? Correct. Ah. And it, it was approaching the moon, uh-huh. and they have to go in back of the moon. We never see the back of the moon. Mm-hmm. And then it was to get out of the moon's gravity right. system. Because otherwise it would, it would go orbit in orbit around the moon, and their idea was, let's, let's not orbit, let's get the hell back. Right. Yeah. Just get the hell, pardon me, get the hell back <laughs> and go straight home. Right. Well, we don't have a lot of time today to talk, Lena, but you'll have to come back and tell us more stories. But I do know that at some point the astronauts did come visit you guys out at Aerojet. Yes, we had uh, two of the original astronauts, uh, Grissom and Cooper, and a young astronaut named uh, Borman. Frank Borman. Frank Borman. Later of Apollo 8. everyone knows what happened to Frank Borman. They were very intellectual, polite gentlemen. And they were fun to be around, particularly uh, Gus Grissom. Uh, <laughs> he was sort of a happy-go-lucky character. Uh, Grissom, of course, was a second-man suborbital flight. The, the Liberty spacecraft got lost. They recovered it recently from 10,000 feet off the bottom of the Atlantic, which is a hell of a story. And we thought at that particular time that the, uh, the press treated him in a negative way. The window did explode, and Grissom did not tell a lie. Yeah. And later on, we found out that he was telling the truth. But he was never recognized for telling the truth. And, and they then, weren't of sure, course, yeah. everything was played against him. And uh, it didn't pan out the way he thought it would, should pan out until recently, like you said. Interesting, because there was a big deal when, they, when he lost the capsule. Did he cause something to make it sink? Did he blow the explosive bolt? There was a big, and he says he always denied it. He was correct. He, ne- he never touched anything because yeah. the uh, little time that we had with Gus Grissom out at Aerojet, we knew wh- that the astronaut was telling the truth at that particular time because it could happen. It could happen that those boats could explode on their own, and that's sure. exactly what happened. All right. I remember there's a... I'm sure you read uh, the right stuff, Lino. There's a there's a very great story in there where Gus Grissom is being given a tour of facilities like yours. Maybe it was yours. I don't know, but uh, he was given a tour of some some of the manufacturers of the rocketry material, and they asked him to give a speech, and he was really stuck for what to say. So he went up to the microphone, looked it over at the crowd, and said, "Do good work," <laughs> which of course the crowd went wild because yeah. obviously he needed them to well, do good work. Well, he said it a little different for us. He said, "I hope you are not." the lowest bidder on this project. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lito, thanks so much for, for speaking with us, and come again, because there's a lot of stories I'm sure you've got about Aerojet, and we want to tell them. Thank you very much for having me. And don't forget, it should be a national holiday. Well, we agree. National Moon Landing Day or something like that, July 20th. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Write your congressman. All right, we're back. Uh, I do. I do want to note in passing that uh, that that Paul Gutierrez, writing the sports column from the Sacramento Bee last month, got fooled like a lot of people about this supposed remarkable series of coincidences between Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy. 
He only mentioned it in passing just to start the article with the thing about, you know, Lincoln's secretary who was named Kennedy warned him not to go to a theater and Kennedy's secretary named Lincoln warned him not to go to Dallas. Urban myth, ladies and gentlemen. Abraham Lincoln did not have a secretary named Kennedy. And Evelyn Lincoln did not warn JFK not to go to Dallas. Anyway, it's, it's BS. And, and, and by the way, the joke is also not true that a week before his assassination, Lincoln was in Monroe, Maryland, and JFK, well, we, we won't even go there. All right, on last week's program during our obituary section, we mentioned the passing of a legend of, uh, I'm not sure what, showmanship, uh, Evil Knievel passed away. And we, we talked on this program about the fact that we were going to try and get you, the listener, the man that built the famous Sky Cycle, with which Evil Knievel purportedly was going to attempt to jump the Snake River Canyon in Idaho. We're still trying to locate... Um, uh, the engineer. Uh, we have spoken with his daughter, and I have hopes that we will still bring him to you on the program. But in the meantime, I thought we would uh, talk to someone who did speak to this individual, having um, having affiliated with him over at Aerojet. Returning now to the program is uh, Lino Carollo to talk about, uh, well, to talk about this. So welcome back, Lino. Thank you. We should remind our listeners, you talked about uh, the effort that went into the Apollo rockets that were made here, right here locally in Sacramento at the Aerojet. Yes. And for a while, I guess, Robert Truax was an engineer out at Aerojet. Yes, he was. You didn't work with him, though? No, I never worked with him because he was sort of a maverick. Ah. And Aerojet decided (laughs) that since we had this maverick on our hands... Well, let's put it this way. He never did exactly what Aerojet <laughs> wanted him to do as far as paperwork was concerned and everything else. Uh, I would call him the uh, Thomas Edison of the rocket age. Okay. What he would do was he would tell a, uh, a machinist, hey, make this part for me in this fashion. Instead of going through the paperwork like everything else, right. an invoice and everything right, else, right, right. he would say, Forget that. He'd go garbage. by the lab and say, hey, buddy, could you do this for me? Right. right. Okay. All right. So that didn't go over well with the hierarchy, the, the No, it never be. did because the uh, Air Force wanted everything backed up by paperwork. Right, right, right. He's kind of like a mad scientist maybe, huh? Well, he was a mad scientist, but Aerojet recognized him as a genius. Yeah. And they said, well, we'll give you whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So they put him in this building, mm-hmm. gave him all the material that he uh, needed, the machinists, the engineers, everything, and he went out on his own. Yeah, which I imagine was kind of unusual. Definitely unusual, <laughs> because any, he hated paperwork. Were there any other guys that, that they gave him that kind of latitude to? No way. All right, no so he way. quite a guy. But he was a person in his own world. Well, uh, he, I guess, left Aerojet, and somewhere along the way, we're going to have to trace this out, he came to the attention of stuntman Evil Knievel, who had this idea that the all-time stunt he was going to do was get a rocket-powered motorcycle to leap over this, what, a thousand-foot gap Snake River Canyon in Idaho. That is correct. And, of course, 
Truax was a feature on uh, on national television. I know he was on Johnny Carson a couple times. Uh, there was a hilarious interview, uh, an article about this whole Snake River Canyon uh, debacle, I guess you'd call it, in Rolling Stone back in the 70s. Very funny article. But uh, in, the, in the article, I remember... They went over and asked Truax. Well, of course, Evil Knievel says that you, uh, you know, were a NASA, NASA engineer, and uses a lot of NASA engineering here. And he told the guy, "I never worked for NASA." You're correct. He never did work for NASA. He was working for Aerojet at that time. We like this guy. We got to say that's why we're talking about him. The problem with building a rocket-powered motorcycle is not rocketing up into the air. The problem is landing. That is correct. Because <laughs> I think that what I read somewhere was it hit at least 400 miles an hour at one point. And that you can't land a motorcycle going 400 miles an hour. Not with the uh, <laughs> commitment of landing on the other side of the river. Alive in any way, yeah. Right. The rocket will land, but <laughs> yes. will the yes. uh, person inside yeah. the rocket be a uh, person? Or a pile of or, you know, what's uh, left. Or well yeah. fried, yeah. Uh, well done uh, corpse. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think I think everybody pretty much was waiting to see that how he was going to pull this off, and and for listeners who are too young to remember this event, what happened was he, the rocket no sooner took off than the parachute deployed, and he then made a rather soft landing down at the bottom of the canyon, leading some to conclude that well that was probably the plan all along. Now. Truax came back and talked to you guys at Aerojet. Did you get any hint about what the real plan was? Well, he never came out and said explicitly uh, what actually happened. But he said, we have plan A and plan B. <laughs> and if necessary, we have plan C. And we looked, we looked at him in uh, straight face and said, hey, give us what actually happened. He says, well, the rocket took off. <laughs> and, and my job was done. And my <laughs> job was done, man. Evil was on his own. Yeah, I think Evil wanted to live, and I think he pulled the chute the second he cleared, you know, the second he got up there. Evil knew exactly what would happen, that uh, he could see that he was not going to make it. The rocker would make it. But him coming out alive... There wasn't any uh, guarantee at all. Well, he went from being a car thief, a safe cracker, and a, just a goofball stuntman to being known all over the world and becoming a man worth like $300 million. So, you know, I mean, you, you got to say he certainly knew his showmanship. Let me put it this way. He was the best con man on that day. <laughs> well, Lino, I'm with you. And uh, I'd appreciate your coming to talk about it. And we're hopefully we're still going to get Truax on the show. You'll have to listen. It will be a pleasure to listen to the old guy. All righty. That was Lino Carollo, former employee of Aerojet, uh, who was apparently at one point entertained by the stories of Mr. Robert Truax, engineer extraordinaire, and the man who got Evil Knievel into the air over the Snake River Canyon. Anyway, I think we'll go out with today's show. We quoted from the rather hilarious obituary of Mr. Evil Knievel, as reported in The Week magazine. And I must say, The Economist did an equally bang-up job, and I just have to quote a bit from it. In 1965, selling motorbikes in Washington, business became a lot more interesting when, fired up with a wild turkey or two, he did tricks to draw the customers in, jumping a car, then a car and a 20-foot box of rattlesnakes, then two cars, rattlers, and a mountain lion, until the crowd came to watch him. There was money there somewhere, and regular money was something Mr. Knievel found hard to get. 
He had tried newspaper selling, hubcap stealing, and burglary. He had been, so he said, a card sharp and a safe cracker. He had sold insurance and had run a hockey team. They were known as the Butte Bombers before apparently absconding with the money from their biggest game. A detour into hunt guiding ended when he was found to be taking his clients to shoot elk in Yellowstone National Park. But now it seemed people would pay $500 just to see him jump bikes over cars. They would pay even if he failed. In fact, they would part with even more. Determinedly, he set out to sell himself as a daredevil writer. The magazine went on, Mr. Knievel's true talent was to spin crazy dreams. He might just jump 13 cars today, but tomorrow he would jump 20. He might clear the Snake River Canyon now, which he did not do, but his real aim was to leap the Grand Canyon. After that, he would jump 40,000 feet from a plane without a parachute and land in a haystack. Just pick the haystack. It was all hokum, but the public loved the dare. So too the toy makers, earning $350 million from the selling of evil Knievel figures who, on their bikes, would crash through simulated rings of fire and a 16-piece brick wall. And so, too, did a huge number of the small boys of the world for whom mounds and ponds and ramps and planks now became the springboard to wild, free flight. Or, just as probably, though perhaps they wouldn't care much, a mud bath and a broken arm. And uh, finally, in answer to our true or false question at the top of the show, yes, a pistol will fire underwater. And if you don't believe us, check with the people at Mythbusters. They tested it, and it happens. Trust us. All right, and our final, I guess it's a science item to close today's program. Uh, We note some recent research done by psychologists Andrew Gallup and Gordon Gallup at State University of New York at Albany into the great mystery of why it is we yawn and why they are contagious. Now, it's curious that previous research by these same people noted that uh, chimpanzees were also found to be able to spread yawns from one to the other contagiously. They've attributed to the fact this to the fact that apes are, una- are able to understand the minds of other apes, as are some people. But what is the purpose of the yawn? Uh, people have debated about this for years. One popular theory imagined that a big gulp of air was meant to boost oxygen levels. But they tested that in the lab, and it didn't seem to hold up. So now they've just, the latest research suggests that a yawn apparently provides a rush of cool air, which cools the brain and keeps it alert. Apparently over in Albany, they, uh, they tested this theory by asking volunteers to watch a video of people yawning. Though some people mimicked the yawn, those who held an ice pack to their forehead were cured of the urge. Also, apparently, people who breathed exclusively through their nasal passages were also immune. And I must say, I'm, I'm not impressed by the finality of this data because <laughs> you then have to ask the question of, why do you need a cool brain? Noted researcher Gordon Gallup, uh, brains operate more efficiently when cool, and yawning enhances brain function. According to our hypothesis, he said, rather than promoting sleep, yawning should antagonize sleep. 
In support of this, uh, Robert Provine of the University of Maryland noted that paratroopers report yawning before they jump, adding that yawning signals a transition between the behavioral state of wakefulness and sleepiness. Also, apparently, boredom to alertness. All I can say is, I think it's uh, time to end the show. I'm so tired, I haven't slept a wink. I'm so tired, my mind is on the blink. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. Our thanks today go to my neighbor, Lino Carollo. Lino spent many years working for Aerojet General Corporation here in Sacramento, helping them build the rocket motors that got us to the moon. We'll see you next week at the same time.